This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, the spotlight is on the Lone Ranger. Now, he first appeared in 1933 in a radio show conceived either by WXYZ Detroit radio station owner George W. Trendle or by Fran Stryker, the show's writer. In any case, the two drew up some guidelines for those who portrayed the character, guidelines that embody who and what the Lone Ranger is. The Lone Ranger was never seen without his mask or some sort of disguise. He was never captured or held for any length of time by a lawman, uh, avoiding being unmasked. He always used perfect grammar and precise speech, devoid of slang and colloquialisms. Whenever he was forced to use guns, he never shot to kill, but instead tried to disarm his opponent as painlessly as possible. He rarely referred to himself as the Lone Ranger. Now, if someone's suspicions were aroused, either the Lone Ranger would present one of his silver bullets to confirm his identity or someone else to attest on his behalf. The latter happened at the end of most episodes when someone would ask, who was that masked man as the Lone Ranger departed? Well, the names of unsympathetic characters were carefully chosen so they never consisted of two names if it could be avoided. More often than not, a single nickname or surname was selected. Oh, yeah, the Lone Ranger never drank nor smoked. The saloon scenes were usually shown as cafes with waiters and food instead of bartenders and booze. So let's visit this straight-laced hero in an episode entitled Legacy for a Ghost. horse with the speed of light, the cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Thank you. 
Companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness, have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse, Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver. There's trouble on the trail ahead. Hail, Silver! Ordinarily, Cass Greenstreet, president of the state bank at Dawson, Nevada, didn't have lunch with Saul Conroy, his head teller. In fact, today was the first time in ten years that both men had left the bank at exactly 12 noon. Say, Cass... Folks might think this is kind of funny, both of us going to lunch at the same time. Nobody will notice it, Conroy. Come on. We'll lead over to the hotel dining room. A few minutes later, the banker and his assistant were seated at a small table in the dining room of Dawson's only hotel. Then Cass Greenstreet consulted his watch. Well, Conroy, it's five minutes after twelve. Nothing's happened. It'll happen all right. I'm not worried. I am. How can we be sure this hombre, whoever he is, will follow through and hold up the bank? Because I told him it would be easy. Who is he, anyway? Well, I don't know. Just a tramp I picked up in Pineville. How about Sheriff Tuttle? Did you get word to him? Yeah, I wrote him a note. I slipped it under the door of his office last night. Wrote him a note? Why, well, you... I mean, I printed it. He'll take the tip all right. Bet he's out in front of the bank right now. Well, I hope so. And he'll be primed to shoot. Because in the note, I said this bank rival was a killer. Then I signed it with a name that's a cinch to make him think it's the truth. How'd you sign it? <laughs> I gotta laugh every time I think about that note. Never mind laughing. <laughs> Just remember there is a killing. You've got to get to the tramp before anybody else does. Oh, sure, but you don't have... That must be it. Hurry up. Get over there. Now, Cass, there's no need I to... I said get... hurry. All right, I'm going. Everything depends on it. Dawson Bank has been held up and robbed, and if the sheriff has killed the outlaw, you've got to examine the dead man before anyone else does. Now get going. enough, the fears or hopes of Cass Greenstreet had been true. A masked outlaw had tried to hold up the bank just a few minutes after 12 o'clock. And it had been a simple affair because there'd been no one there except an old bookkeeper. When the outlaw had emerged from the bank with a sack of gold under his arm, he'd walked into the point-blank fire of Sheriff Tuttle's six guns. He was killed instantly. That afternoon, just at sundown, a small crowd gathered on Boot Hill to witness the unhappy outlaw's burial. A rough pine box was lowered into the grave, then the local parson spoke a few words. The crowd departed quickly, and after a grave digger had filled a shallow trench and pushed a wooden marker into the earth, he too left the scene. No one noticed a rather quiet young man who remained behind to stare dubiously at the writing on the wooden headboard. That is, no one noticed him but two horsemen who had watched the entire scene from a grove of cottonwoods not far away. One of the men was masked and rode a powerful white stallion. His companion was an Indian. It was the Lone Ranger 
and Tonto. Tonto, I wonder why one man stayed behind. Oh, me not know. Maybe he's a relative of the outlaw they had just buried. Oh. Still, I don't... Let's go over and talk to him. Ah. Come on, Silver. Get him up to count. A masked man. Well, this country's full of surprises. Who are you? Easy, big fella. I don't want to intrude. Well, I guess Boot Hill's public property. You've got as much right here as I have. Was the man they just buried a relative of yours? That's what I've been standing here trying to figure out. Don't you know? Tell you the truth, I'm a little bit mixed up. The army that's planted under that headboard held up the Dawson Bank at noon today. Yes, I know. And he was shot and killed by the sheriff. Well, what connection does that have with you? Go over and look at the writing on that wooden slab at the head of the grave. All right. Here lies Jack Potter, age 28. Shot and killed while attempting to rob the Dawson State Bank. May his evil soul at last find peace. Well, it just says that the outlaw was a man named Potter, age 28. Yeah, yeah I know. That's what's got me mixed up. What do you mean? That's my name. You see, I'm Jack Potter. A few minutes later, in the Lone Ranger's camp, Jack Potter told the masked man and Tonto a strange story. I'm from the southern part of the state. Up until a few days ago, I was punching cows in a spread down there. Then I got a letter from a banker here in Dawson. It said that my Uncle Jeb, who lived here, just died. I was his heir. Was that true? I guess so. I've never found out. Go on. It said to come up here right away and bring positive proof of my identity. Could you do that? Sure. I had my discharge papers from the Army. So I got on a train and came up to Pineville. Pineville? Oh, I forgot to tell you. The letter also said that because there wasn't any railroad running through Dawson, I was to get off the train in Pineville. And somebody would meet me there. Did they? Yeah. When I got off the train in Pineville last night, two men were waiting for me. Are you Jack Potter? That's me. Well, welcome to Pineville. My name's Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the Dawson Bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. But I guess I could have found my way to Dawson, all right. Oh, sure, but I brought my rig. We'll drive over in the morning. Morning? Oh, it's a hard trip. You'd better rest here overnight. Oh, excuse me, Potter. This is, uh, this is Mr. Anderson. Glad to know you. Hey, I have a room reserved for you at the hotel. Guess we might as well go on over there. Sure, anything you say. Oh, by the way, Potter, I hope you brought your legal identification with you. Mr. Greenstreet will want to see it as soon as you get to Dawson. Oh, sure. I've got my army discharge papers right here in my pocket. Oh, then let's go to the hotel. Come on, Anderson. Thank you. the night in Pineville? Most of it. But I didn't do much sleeping. What do you mean? Well, the three of us, Conroy, Annis, and I, had supper. Then we went upstairs to our rooms. Well, uh, here's your room, Potter. Anderson and I have to go up another flight. Couldn't get all three rooms on the same floor. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'm not used to hotels, but I'll make out all right. Oh, of course you will. And we'll call you first thing in the morning. Good night, Potter. Good night. Good night, Mr. Anderson. Good night. And what happened the next morning? Things began to happen before morning. You see, I'd been sleeping out in the open for years. That hotel bed felt strange. I, I couldn't get comfortable. 
I must have turned and twisted for an hour or more, but I couldn't go to sleep. Well, finally, I decided I'd try putting my head at the bottom of the bed instead of the top. Well, that's when it happened. What happened? I heard a key put in my door, and it started to turn, real soft-like. I was wide awake, but I figured the best thing to do was play possum. So I waited until the lock clicked and the door opened just a crack. And somebody whispered my name. Putty? Jack Putty? When I didn't answer, the door opened real fast and somebody came in the room. But it was so dark I, I couldn't see. Whoever this critter was, I could hear him breathe as he came over to the bed. I, I didn't know what to do. My guns were lying on a chair five feet away. Then as he came closer, I saw he had a shooting iron in his hand. And he was aiming it at the pillow at the head of the bed. I guess in the dark, the pillow must have looked like my head. Because the next thing he did was squeeze the trigger. I raised up and tried to grab him. What the... But he had the advantage of standing up, and I was lying flat on my back. He swung on me with the butt end of his gun. <laughs> and that's the last thing I knew. When did you regain consciousness? This morning. I've still got a big lump on my head, but otherwise I'm all right. Who was this man who tried to kill you? Do you know? I've got a hunch it was Anderson. Well, uh, what makes you think so? Because when I was able to move around this morning, both Anderson and Conroy were gone. So I rented a horse and rode over here to Dawson. Have you seen either of those men since you arrived? No. Because when I got in town, they were having that planting ceremony over on Poot Hill. And whoever's in that grave must have had my army papers on him. Well, why didn't you go directly to the bank and talk to Green Street or Conroy? I thought of that. Then I figured I'd have a hard time proving who I am. Especially when I just finished burying one hombre named Potter. You should have gone to the sheriff and told him about it. I was going to do that, too. But when the funeral was going on, I heard somebody say that Sheriff Tuttle knew this critter was a professional bank robber because he got a note from the Lone Ranger What? Say... What did you say? I said this Lone Ranger must have tipped off the sheriff. Did because... you hear that, Tuttle? Huh. Well, what's wrong? Everything. Seems, Potter, that you're not the only one who's involved in this attempt to bury a man who isn't dead. I don't understand. Neither do I. But I intend to find out. Here, Silver. I think I'll go to Dawson and look up this Conroy critter. If he thinks Hello, he can... Potter. Wait here with Tonto. I'll be right back. Easy, big fellow. But what'll I do about this? Don't worry. You won't be alone. We'll both do something about it. Come on, Silver. Stand, you received a note from me. I sure did. I'm much obliged for the tip-off. Caught that bank robbing varmint red-handed. Yes, I heard about it. Nailed him right between the eyes. And we planned him on Boot Hill about an hour ago. Yeah, I see that note, Sheriff. You, you mean... Oh, sure, sure. Here it is. Hmm. Dear Sheriff, a bushwhacker that works alone is aiming to stick up the Dawson Bank at noon today. I thought you'd like to know about it. Sign the Lone Ranger. Mighty nice of you to give me the tip. How'd you know? I didn't. I didn't write this note, Sheriff. You didn't? Then how could you know Tell that... Tell me, who was this outlaw? Did you identify him? Young buckaroo named Potter. Jack Potter. Sheriff, I don't know who it was who robbed the bank today, but I do know the man buried up on Boot Hill isn't Jack Potter. Isn't Jack? And I'm sure that Conroy and Green Street can tell you who it is. You mean them two hombres are pulling the shenanigans? They've already pulled it. Yeah? Well, I never did like them critters. 
I'll rustle them out of bed right now. No, I... Sheriff. I'm involved in this, too. And we need proof before we can accuse anyone of a crime. You say you didn't write that note. That's good enough for me. I'll get Conroy and Green Street. No. It's always best to let crooks convict themselves. What do you mean? Wait a couple of days. I'll keep in touch with you. In the meantime, I'll ask a ghost to help us. A ghost? Yes, Silver. Sometimes fear is more powerful than lead, Sheriff. Hello, Silver. Well, I'll be. If I didn't know he was the Lone Ranger, I'd swear that man was local. curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger story. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. story. After the masked man left Sheriff Tuttle's office, he returned to the camp where Tonto and Jack Potter were waiting for him. There he proposed a plan that would take several days to complete. Now this is what I want you to do. Write a letter to Green Street. Pretend that you've just received his letter. Tell him you'll arrive in Pineville the following day. What good will that do? I'll explain it later. Write the letter now. Sure I will. Where can I get paper and a pencil? Over in my saddlebag. Thanks. Uh, Tonto. Uh-huh. As soon as he finishes writing that letter, I want you to take it and ride south. Uh-huh. And where me go? To the town nearest the ranch where Potter used to work. Mail it at the post office there. Ah, uh, me do it. Then ride back to Pineville. I'll meet you by the river just east of town. Uh, Here. It's sort of scribbled, but I guess you'll be able to read it. That's all right. Here, Tano. Uh-huh. Now ride fast. I want that letter to arrive back here in Dawson by tomorrow afternoon. Easy, scout. <clears throat> me take letter. Come back to Pineville. That's right. In hurry, Tano. Uh-huh. Get him up, scout. I guess I don't exactly understand what you're doing. It's simple. And that's the main reason why it should work. You and I'll go to Pineville. And then, day after tomorrow, you'll pretend you've just gone off the train. But why? Because tomorrow afternoon, Mr. Greenstreet will receive a letter he'll hardly believe. Letter for you, Cass. Who's it from? I don't know. It was the only mail on the afternoon stage. Let me see it. This is impossible. What is it? This is from that kid down south. Jack Potter. Potter? Listen. He says, Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I am sorry to hear about Uncle Jeb's death. Regarding the inheritance and complying with your instructions, I'll arrive in Pineville tomorrow afternoon. Sincerely yours, Jack Potter. Oh, I I know what it is. That letter's been delayed some way. Should have been here two days ago. But it doesn't make any difference now because I'm... Conroy, look at the date at the top of the page. Date? Sure. Dated yesterday morning. It can't be. It's a mistake. I thought you met this kid in Pineville yesterday afternoon. I did, Cass. Really, I did. I thought you hired a tramp to put a bullet through his head. The same tramp that was killed yesterday. I did. I mean, he did. I know he killed Potter because he brought me the army discharge papers that night in the hotel. And besides that, I heard the shot. Then how do you explain this letter? It's a mistake. Potter must have written it before he left and put the wrong date on it. Maybe you're right. Just to make sure, you'd better go over to Pineville tomorrow and meet that train from the south. Yes, it isn't true. It can't be true. Listen, I don't know what happened in Pineville, but I do know what'll happen to you and me if that Potter boy is still alive. 
Go over there, meet that train, and if he's on it, don't hire any tramps. Do the job yourself this time. You, you mean... You know what I mean. All right. I'll do it. Hey, uh, stranger, can you tell me how to get to Dawson? <laughs> what? Why, sure, I... Oh, I'm a stranger in this neck of the woods, and I well, thought... What's your name? Potter. Jack Potter. I'm on my way to Dawson. I guess I'll have to catch a stage over there, but I don't know where to find it. Uh, have you... Have you ever been here in Pineville before? First time I ever saw the place. Say, stranger, what's wrong with you? Oh, oh nothing. Nothing at all. You, you know, it's... It's rather a coincidence you coming up and speaking to me like you did. That's so? Yeah, you see, I... I came over from Dawson to meet a man named Jack Potter, and I guess you're him. Well, this is lucky. Uh, what's your name? I'm Sal Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. He sent word about Uncle Jeb dying, so I came right up. I guess he must have got my letter, too. Yes, he got it. Well, where do we catch the stage for Dawson? Well, there isn't any stage until tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll have to spend the night here in Pineville. Oh, that's so? Well, I guess I can use the rest. Oh, sure, sure you can. I've got a room all reserved for you at the hotel. Well, it's mighty decent of you, Mr. Conroy. But you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Oh, no, no trouble at all. Glad to do it. You see, Mr. Greenstreet told me to be sure and take care of you. So I'm just following instructions. Oh, here, here. Oh. Let me carry your suitcase. Thanks, Mr. Conroy. Come on, we'll go to the hotel now. Conroy and Jack Potter are eating supper in the hotel dining room. Uh, and Conroy isn't wearing his gun belt. Must be in his room. There's a store building right by the side of the hotel. You can climb up there and get into Conroy's room through the window. Uh, why, Tonto, do this? Find his gun. Take out the bullets and fill it with these blanks. Here. Uh, Tonto, go. Well, here's your room, Potter. My bunk is one flight up. Couldn't get both rooms on the same floor. <laughs> well, that's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'll make out all right. Feel right at home. What? What's that? No, there's something familiar about this place. What? What do you mean? Almost like I'd been here before. But... <laughs> no, I must be crazy. Either you are or I am. What did you say? Oh, nothing, nothing. Good night, Potter. Good night, Mr. Conroy. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah, I'll see you in the morning. Now, the only thing to do is wait. Pretend to be asleep. I sure hope that masked man or the Indian reached Conroy's guns before he did. Two hombres, 
that looks so much alike. Uh, uh, say, what the... For a while, I thought you might be a ghost, but this will settle it. Oh! train case yesterday afternoon well and this kid jack potter was on it he was and who was the other critter one the tramp drilled or said he did i don't know those army discharge papers the tramp gave to you we planted them after he was killed they belonged to potter what happened to the kid you met yesterday i took him to the hotel in pineville then i plugged him just like you told me to are you sure i'm positive well i hope so it's been a mix-up someplace but as long as they're both dead i guess letter for you mr Greenstreet. all right give it a minute Yes. Yes, what is it? Listen to this. Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I'm sorry I missed the Pineville train yesterday. I hope I didn't inconvenience you in any way. I've decided not to ride the train anyway. I'll come to Dawson direct by stage from the south. I'll arrive about 10 p.m. and go right to the bank. Sincerely yours. Signed, Jack Potter. No. No, it can't be from Potter. He's dead. It's right there in black and white. I don't believe it. I killed him. And dead men can't write letters. Shut up. You've got to figure this out. It's a ghost case. That's what it is. Jack Potter's dead. He's lying up there on Boot Hill. I killed a ghost last night. And now the... this is another one. Be quiet. How can I think with you sniveling like an old woman? But Cass, I talked to him. I ate supper with him and I killed him. No. No, I didn't. Nobody can kill a ghost. That's why he's coming here tonight. Quiet. Oh, Cass. Only one thing to do. We've got to ride out and meet the stage tonight before it gets to town. Ride out and meet... No. No, I'm not going. I say we're both going. This time I'll do the shoot. Cash, you can't kill a ghost. Somebody that's already dead. Stop yapping. A good solid slug from a forty-five does doesn't care what it hits. You and I'll meet that stage. We shouldn't do it, Cass. We shouldn't do it. Quit squawking. Get that mask over your face. Don't want the stage driver to recognize us. Shut up. Come to the stage. Hey, pull up. Pull up, or I'll shoot. Hold there. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your hands up. And they're up. A road agent, huh? Well, boys, this is one time you picked the wrong coach. I ain't carrying a lead quarter. We don't want any cash. All we want to do is talk to the passenger you've got inside. Passenger? You draw another blank, boys. I haven't carried a passenger on this run for over two weeks. I don't believe it. Tell your passenger to get out. You tell them. If you can find them. <laughs> He's right. There's no one inside the coach. Uh, satisfied? I... All right, get moving. Anything to oblige. Get up. I can't understand it. I can we're dealing with a ghost, a man who's dead on Boot Hill, but his ghost is plaguing us because we're stealing the money that's rightfully his. Shut up. Get on your horse. <laughs> what are you going to do, Cass? Ride back to the bank. Come on. Get up, man. Get up. Here they come, Potter. As soon as they get inside, you go up and knock on the door. Shall I carry the suitcase? Of course. You just got off the stage. None of it. Yes, 
I told you what we're up against. If you mention ghosts again, I'll... Use at the door. No, no. All it right. might be. I'll open it myself. Mr. Greenstreet? Who are you? Seems kind of funny that you don't ask me in. I've been a long trip. I just came in on the 10 o'clock stage. You just... Yes. I thought you'd be expecting me. My name's Potter. Jack Potter. Yes! Yes, it's him! It's Potter! The man I killed! He's dead! Shut up! I will not shut up! You're talking to a ghost! This is what we get for robbing the estate! I, uh, came to see about the money that Uncle Jeb left to me. Oh, you did, eh? Well, I don't believe in ghosts, so get your hands up, both of them. Why, uh... Drop that suitcase and get them up. That's better. Now, listen to me. I don't know what your game is, but you're not going to outsmart me. I'm not trying to outsmart anybody. Oh, yes, you are. But I'm going to plug you so it doesn't make any difference how much you know. Sure, I took the money from your uncle's estate. I've got every bit of it. And now I'm going to... You do nothing, Green Street. Why, you... Come on in, Sheriff. Well, well. Nice little sociable party. You heard Green Street's and Conroy's confession, didn't you, Sheriff? Heard every word. Enough to send them both to the penitentiary for life. He's a ghost. He's a ghost. I'll leave them in your hands, Toto. Uh, Where are the horses? Silver Scout, outside. Good. Adios, Jack Potter, and good luck. Oh, wait, wait. I don't even know who you are. A lot of folks have said the same thing, Jack. But he didn't give me a chance to thank him for everything he did. He never waits for thanks, son. That's the Lone Ranger. copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Do It Again. (laughs) 
When a man travels, he wants to know exactly where he is. When a woman travels, she wants to know exactly what to wear. And here at 79 Wistful Vista, one studying a road map and the other cutting out a dress for a vacation wardrobe, each intent on his own business, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. See now, we proceed along Highway 99 for 122 miles, then turn left at a red schoolhouse for a distance of five inches down to the hips. <laughs> then detour 20 miles because the regular road has six buttonholes. <laughs> now let me see. They start at the neckline and stop at the Patty Cake Hotel in there. <laughs> Where the manager will greet you? With a belt in the back. Huh? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. McGee, I'm afraid this dress pattern is a little too complicated for me. Too. I'd have to call the dressmaker after all. Hand me the fold. Okay, Ma. Here. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, operator. Give me Miss Amelia Featherstitch at Wistful Vista 687. What? Oh, is that you, Mert? <laughs> Heavenly day. How's every little thing, Mert? It is, huh? What's that? Oh, not really. Oh, that's terrible, oh, Mert. Well, well, what is it, Molly? It's quiet, McGee, huh? quiet. Tell me that again, Myrtle. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, dear, how perfectly awful. Oh, oh, come on, Molly, I always tell you. What say, Myrtle? Yes, it simply ruins everything for me, Dad Rattus. <laughs> all my plans and work and all. Hey, Molly, for the love of Mike, what happened? Well, Mert says skirts are going to be two inches longer this year. <laughs> yeah, it ain't as good as the stuff I do with Mert. <laughs> what, Myrtle? Oh, the dressmaker doesn't answer. Well, thank you anyway. Goodbye. Well, McGee, you're going to have to help me with this dress. Okay, thread me a needle and I'll show you how my famous speedboat stitch goes. Speedboat stitch? Yeah, 40 knots an hour. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? Knots? You it said... ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> Helped a little bit. It's getting near the end of the season and every laugh counts. <laughs> Besides, I don't want to help. Uh, I don't want you to help me sew. I want you to slip this dress on so I can see how I'm doing. Okay, just. How am I doing, by the yeah. way? Yeah. <laughs> just... Hey, what did you say? <laughs> me put that dress on? Yeah. Oh no, no, sir, not me. Why? What if somebody should come in? And I've been on this show too long to think they won't. <laughs> Now, listen, don't be silly. Take your vest off and slip this dress on. Oh, Molly, I don't want to slip into no dress. Gee, Willie. McGee, <laughs> you owe me that much. Why do I? Well, now, who was it that ruined my dress form by shooting it full of arrows? Tell me that. That was me in Gildersleeve. The chucks, it was the only thing we could find to shoot at. Two grown men shooting bows and arrows. For shame. Well, Gildersleeve had to do something with that bow and arrow. He bought it for his father for Father's Day, and his father couldn't use it. Why not? The instruction says to hold the bow in the left hand, the arrow in the right hand, and draw the feathered end back as far as the teeth. And he just couldn't do it. No... No strength? No teeth. <laughs> now, see here, dearie, that's enough nonsense. Here, slip this on. Oh, no, I, I don't want to... Ah, uh, okay. 
but, but lock the door first and pull down the shade. I will not. Anybody think this was the first time you ever had a dress on? When did I ever? <laughs> you remember that masquerade party you went to as Mary Pickford? <laughs> yeah, that was different. I was coy that night. <laughs> I was just Take wearing... off your vest. Oh, now, Mark. That's better. Now hold your arms oh, up. Okay. That's a nice boy. Fine job for a man. For... McGee, stand still a minute. Oh, well. There. Oh, my, it looks lovely on you, dear. Shucks. <laughs> oh, my gosh, where can I hide? Where can I hide, me, Molly? Oh, Quick. hush, Where's hush, it? hush. Come in. It's the Bob Hope program. No, this is the Fibber McGee and Molly program. Oh, I saw you two girls through the window and thought it was Brenda and Cabina. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's enough. I've had enough. Hey, Billy Mills. Yeah? What are you going to play while I take this dress off? Outside of that, I love you. Put the map down. Huh? I want you to try the dress on again. What? No, sir. Oh, come on. I ain't gonna, not again. Gee whiz, Molly, you want me to grow up to be a sissy? Well, it'd be nice if you just grew up. <laughs> don't be so... Oh, don't... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you doing? Well, I was just about to put on my dress... Er, uh, oh, <laughs> nothing. Why? Well... George is the topless, and Willie Toops and I are getting up a game of N.C. Brown, and we need a boy. Want to play, huh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What made you think of me? Oh, I don't know, mister. We just tried to think of somebody we knew who looked kind of sheepish, I guess. <laughs> well, gee, thanks, sis. You mean I'm sort of gentle and kind and useful? <laughs> no. You're kind of dumb and frisky and always need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. Now, suppose you go play your mutton, mutton, who's got the mutton someplace else. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I says go someplace to... Now, look, sis, let's not quarrel. After all, we're going on a vacation next week, and I don't want to have any hard feelings. Okay, mister. Okay. Okay. Let's bury the machine gun, huh? <laughs> you mean bury the hatchet? Oh, I know, but hats, it always sounds so corny somehow. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it don't. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, no, it Oh, don't. say, mister. Huh? I got a phonograph in my bedroom, and you know what? No, what? My mama bought a recording of one of your broadcasts, and she plays it for me sometimes, I bet. Oh, she does, mm -hmm. eh? When you've been a good girl? No. When I've been bad. Huh? 
Uh-huh. Boy, does that keep me in line. I just can't take it. Go on. If all the fresh kids like her were placed end-to-end, what I couldn't do with a hairbrush. Come on, McGee, slip the dress on again. Oh, Molly, I don't want to put that... Think of my dignity. Think of my pride. Think of the three bucks I'm saving on a dressmaker. Huh? Oh, well, there's that, too, I guess. Okay, I'll do it. Slip the garment to me, varmint. Take that cigar out of your mouth first. Okay. Hold your arms way up now. Okay. Up higher. Stop wiggling. Thought you had to wiggle putting on a dress. You always do. (laughs) Never mind what I always do. There, now don't sit down for a few minutes. I don't want it all split out from the hips. Why, Mrs. McGee, are you insinuating that I'm broader across the pistol pockets than you are? Well, I not only think that. Oh, here comes somebody again. I'll run upstairs. Oh, stop fussing. Just turn around and face the wall. Come in. Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Where's Johnny, daughter? Why, he, uh... Oh, never mind, Molly. I'll come out. As long as it's just him. Well, here I am, old-timer. You want to make something out of it? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But you do kind of look like a one-man revolt against Father's Day, Johnny. (laughs) Well, don't get the idea that he's enjoying wearing that dress, Mr. Old-timer. No, I ain't exactly what you might call (laughs) slip-happy. Jenny, er, Johnny? <laughs> that ain't the way I hear it. The way I hear it, one feller says to the feller, Hey, Sam. This here's the next to last Trevor McGee and Molly broadcast till after vacation, ain't it? Yep, says the feller. They only have one more week's show. <laughs> you see, kids, the, the point of the joke was in the phrase, week's show. Sort of a, a pun, you know. The casual li- listener would think it meant W-E-A-K, you see. Oh, That's stop explaining those jokes. <laughs> that better we catch on to them. All right, Johnny. Just didn't want you to muff it, that's all. Well, so long, daughter. Keep your girdle down, Johnny. <laughs> Keep your temper down, McGee. He was just kidding. Well, He's really a very nice old man. Yeah, he'd be a very clean-cut sort of a guy if I had a razor handy. Stop waving your arms around in my new dress well, and stand the... still whilst I do a little basting. Basting? Oh, no, you don't. You ain't going to pour no gravy over me. <laughs> Why, uh, basting is temporary stitches. Huh? Now, let me well, see. Hello here. there, Molly. Hello, fi- Oh. Oh. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, Miss Wilcox. Turn around, McGee. It's Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Well, well, hello, Fibber. I didn't recognize... <laughs> oh, come on, come on, say it. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I just want to tell you, if you're taking that motor tour this summer... <laughs> Excuse me. You mustn't forget to take along some Johnson's darn you. <laughs> well, thank you for reminding us, Mr. Wilcox. We'll do that. <laughs> I hope so, because, as you know, Carnew will protect the finish from all road dust and rain and scratches. 
And Fibber can make the whole car shine like new with just a few minutes' work before you leave your hotel. Morning. <laughs> of course, all you have to do is apply it. <laughs> Let it dry and wipe it off. <laughs> oh, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> and there's your car gleaming like a car. Well, as I always say, Johnson's car in you is as sensational for cars <laughs> as Johnson's glow coat is for Fords and linoleum. <laughs> oh, boy, Fibber, do you look funny. <laughs> That absolutely does. Take this dress off of me, Molly. Take it oh, off. Oh, now, take it easy, dear. It oh. won't be long now. And besides, there isn't much likelihood of anybody else coming in to embarrass you because... Take it off. Anybody at home uh. Oh, it's Mrs. Uppington, Molly. Just if she sees me in this... Take dress. it easy, McGee. She wouldn't talk. Oh, no. She's about as close-mouthed as a steam shovel. <laughs> and she digs up more dirt, too. <laughs> Now, calm yourself, dearie. Be nice to her, because I want her advice on this dress. Huh? I won't take it, but I want to hear it. <laughs> Come in. Oh, how do you do, my dear? And Mr. McGee. Oh, it is Mr. McGee, isn't it? <laughs> yes, the dear boy is helping me with my new dress. Oh, a model husband. <laughs> or is he just being a silly girl? <laughs> how do you like the dress, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, my, it's so charming, so flattering, so chic. So what? <laughs> and those tuck sleeves are lovely, my dear. Over here, let me set them in a little closer. Uh, have you some pins? Yes, here. Oh, thank you. You see, the real leg of mutton shoulder... What do you know about it, Uppy? You do so much more hawing than you do hemming. Ouch! <laughs> now, I got where you're sticking them pins. Oh. oh, excuse me. There, now, you see, Mr. McGee? Yes, that does look better, doesn't it? Turn around, dearie, slowly. Now, look here, you two. I positively refuse to stand here much longer. Are you just trying to make me look foolish? Why, Mr. McGee, how can you say such a thing? Well... Make you look foolish? <laughs> really, what a superfluous gesture. <laughs> now, Mrs. McGee, I think the sides here are small gore right here. Careful, Uppy, you gored me enough. Ow! Hey, now, cut that out, Uppy. You jagged me again. Oh, really? So sorry. Mm. I think I see what you mean, Mrs. Uppington. Now, how about the skirt? Oh, he'll be all right for a minute or two, won't you, Mr. McGee? Yeah. Hey, what do you mean? You calling me a skirt? Skirt? Ow! Now, look here, Uppy. I don't mind you're making a stab at helping Molly, but stab the dress, not me. You think I'm full of sawdust? Yes, you little darling. Oh. <laughs> now, keep quiet for just another minute. Well. How's the length of the skirt, Abigail? Well, personally, my dear, I'd like to see it a bit shorter, like this. Oh, another pin, please. I should say about up to here. Oh! Happy <laughs> one more jab like that. Of and course, it's difficult to estimate the length of the skirt, Mrs. McGee. Those trouser legs of Mr. McGee's are a bit distracting, you know. <laughs> Trousers have always been kind of distracting to you, ain't they, Uppy? Ah, McGee. <laughs> Is that any way to talk to a lady now? Oh, never mind, Mrs. McGee. Good day, my dear. And uh, Mr. McGee. Yes? Yeah. I would suggest that you take that dress off before you stretch it too much. What do you mean? They're not wearing buckles this season. Good day. <laughs> Miss 
this thing off, Molly. I'm going down to the pool room where men are men and a guy can strike a match on his pants. You get a dressmaker someplace. But my dressmaker doesn't answer the phone. Well, get another one. Ask somebody. Look in the classified. Look in the what app. That's a good idea. Run out on the porch and get the paper, will you, dearie? In this Deanna Durbin outfit? Oh, no, sir. You go out and get the paper. Don't be silly. Here, put on my hat with the veil and nobody will know. Oh. <laughs> I've got to go upstairs and find another symbol to finish this trip. Dead, rat, dead. Oh, where'd that kid throw that paper? He ought to carry a little shovel with him and bury the paper under a rose bush where nobody... <laughs> oh, here it is. Thank goodness nobody saw me. Oh, Dad, rat that door. Shut. Oh, it's locked. If they take the word... Hey, Molly, let me in. I ain't got no key, and even if I did, I couldn't get at it. Hey, Molly. Oh, shut. First I get wangled into putting on a dress, and then I get razzed by all my friends, and now I get locked out. <laughs> Oh, Mrs. Roosevelt, if this is your day, you're welcome to it. Open the door. The King's Men singing Ezekiel saw the wheel. Ezekiel saw the wheel and 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 the middle and the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith and the big wheel run by the grace of God. It's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel way in the middle of the air. Some go to church for the sing and shout way in the middle of the air. Before six months it all turned out way in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Ezekiel saw the wheel way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith, and the big wheel run by the grace of God. It's a wheel and a wheel and a wheel and a wheel way in the middle of the air. Let me tell you what a hypocrite is. Way in the middle of the air. You talk about me and you talk about you. Way in the middle of the air. Is he good for the wheel? Way in the middle of the air. Is he good for the wheel? Way in the middle of the air. The little wheel run by faith and the big wheel run by the grace of God. My children, one of these days, but when trouble clocks, way up in the middle of the air, this whole wide world I'm gonna reveal and blow up. Yes, they're leaving on their vacation next week. 
Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, I'm sure somebody must be home. Uh, are you a relative of McGee's, lady? Your voice has a familiar ring. Well, uh, are you Mr. Gildersleeve, the breezy young man who sits next door? <laughs> Why? Why, yes, I am. Breezy, eh? Mm-hmm. Did McGee say that I was breezy? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> He used the word windy. <laughs> uh, incidentally, lady, I uh, I might as well tell you that if you're trying to sell the McGee something, you're out of luck. Is that so? Oh, yes. <laughs> that little squirt McGee thinks the eagle on a quarter is the world's most beautiful creature. <laughs> He's got a bird sanctuary in his pants pocket. <laughs> <laughs> How amusing. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, but come, come. A pretty girl like you. And I'll bet you are pretty under that veil. Oh, sure. Why, why you can't spend the afternoon beating on people's front doors. Let's walk down to the drugstore and get a soda, eh? <laughs> Why, uh, we might uh, we might even get to be very good friends. Oh, really, I couldn't. My, my husband, you know, he's very jealous. Uh? The last man I heard of it was found floating down the river. <laughs> what? He, he was? Yeah. And I was with him. He had a lovely little canoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was very good, yeah. <laughs> But uh, what was your name again? Uh, don't tell me now. Uh, let me guess. Uh, Gertrude? No. No. Uh, Lorraine? No. Uh, Beatrice? No. Well, it must be Daisy because you won't tell. <laughs> For goodness sake, McGee. Oh, hello, Mr. Gillis. Hello, Mrs. McGee. I, uh, I, I'm just talking to your charming little visitor here. Uh, now tell me, to paraphrase an old joke, who is this lady you see me with tonight? <laughs> that's no lady. That's me husband. <laughs> McGee! Breezy, eh? Boy, wait till your wife hears about this Gildersleeve. <laughs> or do you want to pay me so much a month to keep quiet? <laughs> You're a hard man, McGee. <laughs> if you ever tell my wife... Oh, go on. I knew it was you all the time. <laughs> you never know such a thing. I did, too. <laughs> hey, Molly, you know what Gildersleeve said about Now, look, McGee, me? we've no time to talk. Huh? I got a dressmaker on the telephone, and she says to come right over. She can't get away to come here. Okay, wait till I run in and get out of this dress. No, no, no. There's no time for that. What? There'll be a cab here in a minute. I've got that dress basted up just where I want. Molly, I can't parade around town in this thing. Oh, boy, this is rich. Huh? Wait till I tell the boys down at the Elks. This will be something for them to get their teeth into. <laughs> Come on, McGee. Here's our taxi. Molly, cab. I can't go in oh, the taxi cab. Oh, you've got to. Here, let me take your arm so you won't trip and tear my dress. Oh, where to, ladies? Oh, I forgot the street number, dearie, but it's right next door to the hospital. To the Wistful Vista Hospital, driver, and hurry. Uh, hospital? Uh, just a minute, driver. Yeah? Uh, you better drive fast. That lady with the veil is, uh, well, you know. <laughs> oh, I get you, buddy. I'm a family man myself, and I know an emergency when I see it. Yes, I thought you would. <laughs> Isn't he driving awfully fast, dearie? I'll say he is. 
We just went through a stoplight. I better tell him to slow down. Oh, driver. Driver. Hold everything, lady. I'll get you damn time. I've got five myself. <laughs> Hey, Molly, this dress is still full of pins, you know what? I can't see... Ouch! Oh, Dad, Radis, I wouldn't go through this again for anything in the world. <laughs> I know just how you feel, lady. That's what my wife says every time. Going, dearie. I gotta go to a music store and get a piece of music and then come home and start practicing. What music? Uh, it's a request number. <laughs> Next week being our last show for the summer, people been writing in from all over the country saying they could hardly wait to hear my swan song. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolf followed by The Whistler. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.